So I don't know if it's a big accomplishment or not. So, uh, all right. Now, I was supposed to, I'm so bad at that. I was supposed to ask you a break question. So I'm going to give it to you now to think about. And uh, so, well, and we'll get around to why it's important in a minute. Have you ever broken any bones? And if so, how many and which ones? All right. If there are more than one. All right. So think about that. And uh, for just a sec, and I'm going to give you just a second to think about it. And then you can, we can yell it out here since we didn't have a chance to share that during break time. Uh, if you ever broke any bones, and if so, which ones, how many times, where were they? What were you doing? The whole, the whole shabit, the whole bang, all right? What we got? The whole shebang. Anybody want to admit that one? What you got, Miss Dawn? No, 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 yours. Your bones. That's a very good point. Thank you, Walt. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, broken arm. All right. Who else? What else? Oh, what you got, Dawn? Ooh, collarbone broke. Yep. Yep. That's probably one of the most broken bones, I think, is a collarbone. I've heard everybody I've known just had at least a collarbone break at some point in their lives. All right, what else? Broken arm, broken collarbone. What else we got? Nobody else broke anything? You're all good? Broken toe? Toes. Ooh, toes. No? All right. <laughs> That's too common to count? All right. Toes? All right. What? Broke your foot. All right, that's pretty important. <laughs> I know she's not up here. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> All right, yeah, okay, great. So broken bones, they're fairly common, right? I'll, well, this will tie in in just a few minutes, right? So we're traveling through uh, the book, of, or the letter, really, to uh, the churches in Galatia in our series called Losing Religion. This is the sixth and final week. Next week, we jump into Advent, and so we go over the Advent calendar, uh, so we look forward to that. But for now, we're wrapping this puppy up, where we're talking about how religion, while it, pro it proclaims to have clarity and provide clarity in our lives, it really confuses us sometimes. It can really cloud the vision of who God is and who we are in relation to Him. And so how the message of the gospel, really, in contrast to that, offers a whole lot more. Right? The good news of Jesus is much more than mere religion. We mentioned repeatedly how religion is man searching for God, and the message of the gospel of the good news is that in Jesus, God has found man. Paul, in his letter, argues over and over and over again in many different ways that the truth claim of Jesus, that he is not a way to God, but the way to God. He is God himself in human flesh, coming to save us from the brokenness and chaos of this world. We discussed last week how, how living as free sons and daughters of God, as, as joint heirs with Jesus, we are empowered by His Spirit to live a life of freedom in community with one another. Lives that are marked by love, by joy, by peace, by patience, and by so much more. And that to effectively live out that calling, we are to stay in step with Jesus by, by reading the Bible daily, by patterning our lives after what we see and what we hear in His Word. Now, sometimes that's easy, right? When you do that, you can read some things, and it's like, oh, that makes total sense. When we read things like, do not steal or do not murder, that's cake, right? Most, not, nobody's running around here murdering people and trying to get away with it. I think we understand what to do and what not to do when it comes to the big things that the Bible lays out. But it becomes a challenge, like when Jesus says, to love your neighbor. Some things in there are a little bit vague and fuzzy, and some things have room for interpretation, like how do I love my neighbor? What does that love look like? Maybe I love my neighbor differently than the way you love your neighbor, right? 
I know some people have different interpretations of what love looks like. And so when we read that, it's like, okay, love your neighbor. I think I got that. And we kind of live it out, but it might not match up with what the word actually says in other places. So whenever we read things like that, we have to go back to the Bible and let the Bible interpret itself. Okay, so when you read things like love your neighbor as you love yourself, you have to look through the rest of the Bible and say, okay, how was that lived out in Jesus's day? How was it lived out by the apostles and those who lived after and the churches? How was it lived out throughout history? What does this actually look like? So when we do that, we find that there's a list of attributes that free heirs of God should exhibit, that, that love looks like what Jesus did. And thankfully, this week, we get a concrete way to put those attributes, that patience, that kindness, that goodness, uh, that joy, how we get to put that into practice is laid out in chapter 6 of Galatians, because it's super helpful for me, not about for you, but to have something you can go back to and say, oh, that's how I do that. That's how this works. Okay, I got it now. All right, so... Remember that when we were, have some context to, to the letter here of Galatians, that Paul's addressing a group of believers. And he's addressing a group of believers that are a bit fractured, people who are, who are living one way, and, and some are just abusing the freedom they have in Christ and are doing all sorts of crazy things and, and really not being Christians at all, but they claim they were. And another is trying to add a whole other layer of religion back to their lives. And so they're wrestling around with how to live out this freedom in Christ in, in radically different ways, and they're really not doing it well together, Right? So they're, they're doing their lives differently during the week, and they're coming together on, a, on, on whatever day they celebrated, probably a Saturday, and they're coming together to worship Jesus, but they're really f- arguing and backbiting and gossiping and not having a great time of, of doing this, living out this following of Jesus together. And so Paul is writing this to help them not only tell them how, what love looks like, but how to practically do it together. That's the key. That's the key. Practically doing it together. They were all claiming to follow Jesus, but they weren't doing such a great job, and they weren't doing such a great job of doing it all together. Now, that sounds like every church, everywhere, through all time, all right? That is not an exception. This is not a a, a one-time event that Paul is dealing with, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't be surprised that Paul wrote this. We shouldn't be surprised that all throughout church history and all of history, people don't get along all the time, right? It just doesn't happen. Even when we're commanded to, even when we agree to follow a God who says you should, it normally doesn't work out. And so we shouldn't be surprised when stuff happens, when scandal breaks, when news breaks about crazy things happening in the church, and we look and be like, oh, I can't believe that happened. We shouldn't be surprised, because why? Church is full of imperfect people. Full of them, starting from me in this church. Full of imperfect people. It shouldn't surprise us when someone in church messes up, because we all mess up. Every single one of us does. Every one of us needs a daily outpouring of God's grace and mercy. What we can't let happen, though, is the reality of our imperfections become a crutch that we walk toward eternity with, because that's the alternative. What you do and what I've done and what I've seen other people do in the past is saying, oh, we're, we're, this church is, is, is full of, of broken and perfect people, and we're just all struggling to get it done together. And, and what happens is we use that as a crutch. We say, oh, well, uh, you know, so-and-so messed up, but oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. You know, everybody messes up. Or, oh, I messed up this week. Yeah, but it's no big deal. Everybody messes up. It's okay. And we write it off because none of us are perfect. And what happens is, is we have issues crop up, whether it be personal problems or interpersonal problems, and we don't deal with them. We say, we write it off as like, oh, well, no big deal. We can't really fix that. I can't call them out because I'm not perfect. They're not, not going to call me out because they're not perfect. And we just ignore each other and let each other live our lives separately, and then come together and claim to follow the same God. 
or we run away from them when we have problems with each other. If we have conflict, we say, oh, well, I don't want to deal with that. And so we leave to go somewhere else, or we leave altogether, or we move, or whatever the case is. But things happen where we get, get away from our problems instead of dealing with our problems. But the problem with that is that you can avoid it for a while, or you can ignore it for a while, but you can never outrun it, and you can never ignore it enough. Eventually it catches up because it's in each and every one of us. Being a gospel-living, grace-filled church means living out our lives of faith together in full acknowledgement that once we start to do that, problems are going to come up. They will come up. And when they inevitably crop up, we can't just excuse them away, right? We can't just say, oh, well, it's no big deal, nor can we run away from them. You can't do that either. We have to actually deal with it. We have to deal with it. And how we do that was Paul's concern 2,000 years ago and the reason why he wrote what he did, and it's our concern now and why we're reading it today. Now, as I was getting ready for this, I found a great blog. And I love reading things on the Internet, and that's how I kill my time. And so I found this great blog the other day that had an article entitled, 21 Hilarious Ways People Have Broken Bones. Now, with a title like that, how can you not read it? You have to read it. Right? It's like cat videos. You've got to watch cat videos on YouTube. You have to read 21 Hilarious Ways People Have Broken Bones. And so I read this article, and so I figured I'd list a few of these off because that, these are some great ones. So here are a few I read. One said, I'm in the ER. I broke my hip because I saw a spider in the shower. As I was trying to get away from his obvious attempts to murder me, I slipped down. And that's so true because spiders are trying to kill you at all times. And the spider drowned. All right, so they, they broke their hip because of a spider in the shower. That, that sounds legit. The next one is, I told everyone I broke my nose biking, which sounds pretty good. But really, I threw my head into the freezer door while sneezing. <laughs> yeah. Another one is, I broke my nose today by accidentally dropping an iPad on my face. And the doctors are laughing at me. Yeah. I've dropped my phone on my face a couple of times. Thankfully, nothing as big as an iPad. <laughs> Another one's, I broke my foot once kicking a door because it wouldn't open. That sounds like something I would do in anger, and then later found out it was a pull door. I once broke my arm because I dove for a chicken nugget that my date dropped. I was trying to impress her. Instead, I wound up at the ER. <laughs> yeah, maybe he shouldn't have gone to McDonald's if he was trying to impress his date, but that's neither here nor there. He might have saved himself a broken bone and a uh, potential future date. But anyway, so now you're probably thinking those are hilarious, and they are. I thought that was a pretty good article, pretty good blog. But what do they have to do with dealing with problems in the church? What do they have to do with dealing with problems in our lives? And that's a great question, so thank you for asking that. So I'm going to answer it for you. Much like breaking a bone, sin seemingly has a way of just happening, right? Sometimes it's just like, what? What happened? How did I offend that person? How did I make that mistake? How could I possibly have done that again, right? How could I have done that? Now, you may remember the word sin, but I'll let to clarify that just so we're on the same page. It's essentially the things that we all do that hurt our relationship with God and others. That's all it is. It's not some big fancy theological term. It's fairly easy to understand. And I want, I want you to don't misunderstand me that although sometimes sin has a way of just popping up, other times we put ourselves in situations where uh, sin is more likely to happen, right? like spending too much time alone with a coworker of the opposite sex at work or hanging out with them after work or 
lingering in the ice cream section too long when Ben and Jerry's is on sale and you get that third or fourth quart that you probably, or pint or however many they sell it for, uh, that you shouldn't get, but you probably do because I do it too. And then there are other times, though, although you can be put yourselves in situations where sin is going to get you because you're not moving where you should be moving, but sometimes sin does creep up on you. It sneaks up on you. If you've ever been in a conversation with somebody and they all of a sudden get upset and you're left thinking, what did I say? Everybody done that? Yes. Thankfully, yes, we should all raise our hands. Yes, they, we, we've all done that. Then you've probably done something wrong, right? Something has snuck out of your mouth that you couldn't put back in in time, right? We've all done that. Now, if one of us were to break a bone this morning, that would affect everyone, wouldn't it? One of us here right now this morning in this church were to break a bone, life would stop. Stuff would happen, right? People would, would, would hopefully uh, rally around. One of us would have to make sure you're comfortable if you broke your bone. Another would have to call the ambulance, and we would all gather around when the ambulance came. We'd all stand outside, even if it was raining, to watch and make sure the rescue squad loads you up in the ambulance all right, and, and we'd all we'd talk to them as they load you up, and then whenever you got sent off, we'd all wave you off and say, oh, I hope she does or he does okay, and then we'd all come back here and talk about it for like a month after, because that's, that would be hilarious, right? And so we continue to talk about it because we're human, and uh, so if one of us broke a bone, everything would shift in the church right? Everybody would do something, whether good or bad, to deal with that situation. Sin, in a similar way, affects each and every one of us. So Paul took, told the Galatians in his letter, he tells them, us this morning, he says, how do you handle that, and how do you handle the relational problems that come with it? He says in Galatians 6, 1, right here, It's coming. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. Verse 1 there, the word caught <laughs> means detect, and transgression means to slip up, okay, or fall away. What Paul is referencing here is slipping up or falling away from, from Jesus and slipping away from other believers when we mess up when we inevitably mess up. Paul is identifying the reality that we, that we just discussed, right? There's going to be times when we screw things up. There's going to be times when we mess up, and it's the responsibility of our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us deal with those slip-ups, to help us deal with those mistakes, to help us deal with the fallout. Now, you can't detect anything. You can't catch anybody in any sin, not catches and, oh, I got you, but detect is and say, hey, something's up, if you don't really know the person sitting to your right or to your left, Right? No, you can't. I'm weird, okay? I'm going to let you know. I'm weird. And, but if you don't know that, you'll make the mistake of thinking that my weirdness is abnormal, right? <laughs> but if you really get to know me, you'll find out, oh, that's just how he is. Okay, that's no big deal, right? So, but to, do, to understand, to detect when something's come up in my life, you have to know who I am and what I've done and where I'm going and where I've been. You have to know all that stuff. Now, Paul assumes that's already happening here in this letter, but we have to take time to get to know one another, right? Paul knows this because these are probably a few families in these churches that have been around each other for years, and it's no mystery of who they are, and you kind of understand that. But in many modern churches today, we were gathered around a bunch of people that we probably don't spend a lot of time with. And so what Paul is assuming is that all know each other. We have to make the effort to know each other. Church isn't just about showing up for an hour on a Sunday morning. It's about living day in and day out with one another. Jesus commanded us to love one another. Well, that implies that we should care enough to get to know the good and the bad, 
to actively, now this is going to rankle some because if you're like me and an introvert, I don't want to know you, but I can't avoid it whenever Jesus says to do it. We have to actively spend time to truly know each other's ins and outs, each other's likes and dislikes, to stick through the ups and the downs of life together, even when it's easier to walk away. Because when you really get to know people, what do you find? Some things you don't want to know. Yes, <laughs> yes you do. And when those things come up and when they have those, these character traits or whenever they do have these habits and, and things that you don't like, it's easier to say, oh, just you stay over there. I'll stay over here. We can deal with each other for an hour. The rest of that, spend in your space. I'll spend in mine. It'll be okay. Instead of working through those relational issues together. The call to love one another means we have to fight through the 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 habit that we've developed into in our society to walk off and to walk through things. Now, once you've done that, you'll notice that something's not right. You're going gonna, gonna, gonna to understand that. Once you know somebody's ins and outs, you'll get the fact that, hey, something's wrong with you. Something's off this week. What's going on, right? And when I notice something is off, I'm going to call you out. Now, when I imagine this scenario, I'm thinking of me and Walt, but it can be anybody in this church, right? So, if I know something's off, I'm going to call you out, and then we're going to get into a big argument, right? And then we're going to fist fight, or we're going to just blow up, and because me and Walter guys, we're going to get over it an hour later, and we'll be okay. But if there's other people, we probably wouldn't. And so, we're, you know, that's how that's going to go. Isn't that what that says? No, it's not what that says. Darn, it's not that what that says, is it? I can't do that. I can't get into a big fist fight. I can't argue and, and debate my way out of a problem with somebody. I can't, as much as I want to, make everybody understand that I'm right and that you're not. It doesn't work that way. Not according to Galatians 6.1. We can't do that. Those who are spiritual should restore. So, in other words, when we detect something, when there's something going on in our lives and the lives of others around us, we got a problem with each other, we can't say, Ah, and get mad and start fist fighting. Or we can't run away and say, hey, you just deal with it over there and I deal with it over here. We have to restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Meaning we have to confront them, but we have to say, hey, let's talk. Let's talk this out. Let's, let's sit down. This doesn't have to be a big blow up. Let's deal with it before it gets crazy. Let's do it gently. Now, when it says those who are spiritual should restore, doesn't mean a super class of, of Christians, okay? This isn't those who are really good about not getting in a fight with somebody. That's not who that is. It's not those who've been in church for a really long time. That's not who it is. That's not those who have been to a school who could handle counseling. That's not who that is. That's anybody who is doing their best, as we taught last week, to live step in step with the Spirit. And that should be every one of us. It should be every one of us. Paul is calling for confrontation. Now you say, whoa, aren't we supposed to avoid conflict? No. No. Conflict creates intimacy. Talk to any married couple, and they will guarantee that. They will seal it with a kiss. Conflict creates intimacy. Conflict handled the right way creates sustainable relationships. <laughs> right? So what Paul is saying is that you have to confront it, but not a confrontation that divides, but a confrontation that results in restoration. The word restore there, right, means to return to its original state. It was a Greek word used to describe setting a broken bone. Hence our analogy this morning. 
If one of us slips up and breaks a bone, we'd all help. If one of us slips up in sin and hurt, hurt ourselves and others, we should all help restore the relationship between them and God and between each other. And we should do it gently. Gently. If one of us breaks a bone and another rushes over and yanks on it in an attempt to fix it, that's not good, right? And if you're here and you're trained to do that and you can handle it the right way, great, but I'm no, I don't want you doing any kind of battlefield you know, surgery. So if somebody falls and hurt themselves here, please don't rush over and try to fix it if you don't know what you're doing, right? But if somebody who doesn't know what they're doing is going to come and break, fix a broken bone, the person that's broken the bone is probably going to wind up worse than when they started, right? The same in conflict same in confrontation between each other. The way you restore someone affects the recovery time in that relationship. When you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table this week, I love Thanksgiving, love all the good food. When you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table this week and everyone's sharing what they're thankful for, don't use that opportunity to call somebody out and make yourself feel better. Please don't do that. Please don't. Don't say, oh, I'm so thankful for just so much this year, you know, even though Uncle Timmy borrowed $200 from me and never paid me back, you know, that's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry, Tim. I forgive you. It's okay. That, that's not an appropriate time to do that, right? That's, that's not how this works. Restoring him gently. The point of biblically confronting someone isn't to put someone on the spot and make them pay for their sins. Jesus already paid for them. It's to address the offense with humility and gentleness so healing can start so that loving restoration is accomplished. It sets right that which is broken in the community and creates an environment where recovery is viable long-term. It's not a Band-Aid, it's a cast, and it's therapy, and it's all those things that take a long time to recover. It's not an immediate fix. And that's more likely to happen when we practice Paul's other command here in verse 2, where he says, he says, 6-2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When you break a bone and have had it set and you're recovering, life's always easier when you have people coming alongside you and help you until you're back on your feet, right? It's a lot easier to have somebody help you shower when you have a cast on than do it yourself or get down the stairs or do anything, right? <laughs> Pretty much anything when you've broken a bone. If you haven't done one yourself, you've probably helped somebody who has and they hopefully, <laughs> hopefully appreciate your effort to help them whenever they're hurt. Likewise, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're obligated to step in and rally around each other, not only after we've messed up, but in the daily struggles of life, all right? Bear one another's burdens. We all go through times where we have big decisions to make, either for ourselves or for our families, because adulting is no joke, right? It's serious business. Most of us, if not all of us, have had to deal with a child who's sick. We've had to deal with a, a chronically ill parent. We've had to deal with a grandparent who's dealing with mental issues or physical health issues that are deteriorating. We've all had a bill that came in the mail that we didn't expect, and we've all had to magically find the money to pay for it. Every one of us has probably been there if you've adulted long enough. We're all burdened, all of us, at one time or another, with heavy decisions that have the potential to alter our lives. And what Paul is saying here is don't ignore each other. Whenever somebody says, oh man, I had this bill come up, and you think, oh, they're just venting to me, no big deal. 
You know, you just listen, and then you go home and you do your thing, and they go back and they do their thing. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. It's an opportunity. Don't assume that it'll just all work out. This is another point where being a church goes beyond Sunday morning. We can all show up here and sing about God and all the amazing things He has done, and that is great and awesome, and we do that, and we want to do that. This is an outreach every Sunday morning. I want you to invite people in to celebrate this God that we know and the life and the relationship we have with Him. I can give you all the scriptural truth as you come here every week you could ever ask for. I could fill you up with everything you ever wanted, and you could feel really good about it, and you could just be like as light as air as you float out the doors as you head off into the week. But as soon as you step back in your house, probably if you have kids, as soon as you close the door in the car, everything's going to come crashing back down. The heaviness of life sets in, and Sunday morning becomes a long lost memory, right? We need each other then as much as we need each other now. When faced with hardship of life, we should be able to rely on Jesus and his church. I know Jesus is going to hold up his end of the bargain every time. Are we going to hold up ours? Paul says that when we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ, meaning we don't need a complicated religious code to know how to live. We don't need a big checklist of do's and don'ts. We need to be led by the Spirit into the love of Christ and out the other side, taking that love to others. In doing so, we're fulfilling God's call on our lives. So Paul wraps it up in verse 10 where he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What Paul's doing here is reaffirming Matthew 22 where Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when Paul says, let us do good to everyone, do good isn't just a vague, low standard that we're to set or to live by. It's a reaffirmation of the fruit of the Spirit, a love that puts God above all and others before ourselves. And he tacks on with that last phrase, especially to those who are the household of faith, which at first seems kind of weird. All right, Paul, what do you mean by that? Yeah, we should love our neighbor as yourself. We know that. That's what Jesus said. We have that. We understand it. We, we process that. Why especially to those who are the household of faith? In other words, especially to those who believe and follow Jesus, who are the church together, why should we do that? I think anyone who has brothers or sisters probably understands the answer to that question, don't you? Because I have two stepsisters, and uh, they're a little bit hard to love sometimes, right? So I can imagine real flesh and blood sisters and brothers, sometimes it's easy to get along, and other times it ain't, yeah? Sometimes it's really not. Sometimes it's easier to love people you don't know than the people you do. Now, you might not want to admit that here because you might be related to somebody, but if you're not... You can go home and you're going to reaffirm that when you listen to this podcast later. Familiarity often breeds contempt, doesn't it? And sometimes your brothers and sisters are going to take advantage of the relationship they have with each other. That's what happens. We're to be reminded in those situations that whenever we're around our family or our church family, that the great descriptor of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, meaning long-suffering. Just like there's some people who are accident-prone, have lots of broken bones, have required lots of care. There are some who slip up frequently spiritually, 
and need to be frequently restored, gently. And we all go through times where all of us need a burden shared. So the mark of a healthy gospel living church isn't just how well we love our neighbors or even our enemies, but how well we love each other. Jesus told those who believed and followed him in John 13, 35. And I think I have a slide for that one, Jaden, if you'll flick one more. Jesus told his followers this while he was alive, and it applies to us even more today. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, meaning all people will know that you have followed me and have made a decision to put you in my life, or put me in your life, rather, if you have love for one another for one another. It's easy to not love people in the church when we really get to know each other. It's easy to ignore the burdens. It's easy to not restore people when they messed up, but just let things slide. But Jesus said, by this will they know. How well do you love each other? How well do you know each other? How well will you sacrifice for each other? How well will you take time to walk the floor with each other? How well will you do when things are tough? How will you do when things are easy? How do you live life together as God has commanded us to live it out? So let's live out that restorative and burden-sharing love starting today. Starting today. Now, seekers this morning, if you're here and you don't believe, don't know what you believe about Jesus, Thank you for coming as always. We'd love you to be here. Thank you for spending your morning with us. Again, our mission here at Faith, I say it every week, our vision is to see people transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus and to see this community and the people in it look like heaven on earth. Living out this principle today is living like heaven on earth. It's restoring us as God has restored us to him. So we should restore each to each other. If you're here this morning and you want to take that first step to a full, complete, free life where burdens are shared and healing can truly start, I want to give you that opportunity to do that this morning. If not, I continue to ask you to continue to press in, continue to be here. I want you to all who are here that are believers to invite your other non-church-going friends, especially this time of year. The statistics say that 80% of people will come to a Sunday morning experience by the seventh time, they're invited, <laughs> all right? So the statistic says you got to invite, 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 at least that many times. In New England, I think the number's doubled. So you probably do about 14 times and pray over each one, all right? One day they'll show up. Continue to push, continue to ask, continue to bring them here. If we truly believe that we have the hope of the world, why not be here? Why not invite someone here? All right, so let's do that this week. For believers, I've got a challenge for us. I want you to think of one person in the church that you don't know very well or at all, whether they're here this morning or not, because we have quite a few out, but get their number. Look them up on Facebook. Message them this week. If you're really brave, call them. I don't know who does that, but if you're really brave, you can give them a phone call. All right? But begin to build those bonds which last through the ups and last through the downs. Begin to build those bonds which go beyond the thick and the thin from the broken bones to the crushing burdens and to everything in between, to be a church that exhibits to this community the love of Jesus that we have for each other. For each other. Let's pray this morning.